to Second Features. In this episode, we are talking about um, a film which is kind of a little bit off-brand for us, but no less interesting. It's called Pumping Iron, and it's a 1977 film all about bodybuilding. You may have heard of it. Um, it's actually a documentary, and it's notable for starring uh, a young Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, in one of his first major breakout roles, as well as um, Lou Ferrigno, who, of course, uh, played the Hulk in various iterations over the years. Um, so we're talking about that today, and we're also um, hearing from a very special guest, uh, Adrian. Yes, I know, not me, but Dr. No, Adam no, Locks. no, we're not hearing uh... from Adrian, we're he- hearing from Adrian's <laughs> very special guest. <laughs> yeah, so um, Adam is uh, from, at the University of Chichester and he, I know him primarily for teaching and talking about horror, but in his other half of his academic career, he's written about bodybuilding um, and edited books on bodybuilding, so, and maybe even done some bodybuilding, we can ask him. Yeah. So, um, so I thought he would be the perfect guest to come and explain to us what bodybuilding is all about. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't know about you, but I've I've been working out ever since I watched this movie. I'm getting ripped. I always work out, uh, and I'm always in the process <laughs> of getting ripped. It's very important not mm. to uh, not to shirk your fitness, Adrian. No. Yeah. This is a very inspiring film. Um. Yeah, but so for me, this was the first time I'd ever seen it, even though I'd been aware of it for years. How about you? Uh, it was the first time. I had vaguely heard of it. I'd heard more about uh, Pumping Iron 2, The Women, which is about female bodybuilding. And that's a kind oh. of a documentary which is often uh, framed in a more shocking way because of how women's bodies are not normally associated with being muscular or, you know, with bodybuilding. Mm. But um, the first film I'd heard was kind of really, really good and really sort of critically rated um but I'd never kind of given it a watch uh I really enjoyed it um I really thought it was just fascinating Mm. it was an insight into a world that I just didn't I mean I kind of knew it existed but I didn't know anything about it no what I particularly I mean there's there's lots of aspects of it that I enjoyed but I loved the whole Lou Ferrigno subplot of him with his family and his dad who was his dad a cop? I think yeah. and he'd given up being a cop to be his trainer, and and you just they're in Brooklyn, and you so because obviously this is just all shot on the streets and you know everywhere they are, um, and you oh. see him going to this gym in Brooklyn, and I, everything you see all these guys in the background wherever they go, and it feels like you're in a Scorsese movie that there's just all these kind of guys in their open shirts looking a little bit. Like scary. I mean, it's kind me. of it's kind of of that era. It's <laughs> it only a great. couple of years after yeah. Rocky, which have, is filmed in gyms on the streets um, mm. in Philadelphia. In was it Philadelphia? Is it? I can't remember. It, yes, I just literally so. watched that last week. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of maybe. I mean, it's a documentary, but it does have a plot, and it is kind of dramatized, mm. um, pumping iron because it's it's. I kind of it's kind of semi-dramatized in that um, it's not candid; it just looks candid. So uh, oh, we, no. yeah, we're You're kind spoiling of spoiling um, it for me now. I thought that was all happening. <laughs> no, oh, uh, I think like it's that that kind of structured um, documentary where the camera's in the room and it's capturing people's behavior, but also it's kind of some of it is sort of partly um, characterized. So we have uh, we have characters like Arnold Schwarzenegger is kind of very much playing himself, 
um but he's also being himself and but it's kind of also quite mm. hard to get a handle on him because he's such a kind of enigmatic entertaining personality uh, and then we have Lou yeah. Ferrigno who is uh training to be Mr Olympia is Mr Olympia isn't it the yeah the competition. Mr Universe and then there's Mr Universe and then there's Mr Olympia yeah. um, which is all the, the all the winners of the Mr Universes so like Universal. Mr. Universe is, I thought, yeah. like a, an, an amateur one and Mr. Mr. Olympia is mm. the professional one. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's about Something training, like training for, uh, <laughs> training to win this competition, uh, Mr. Olympia. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of just about bodybuilding and um, how these guys train and how they relate to each other and the importance of this competition uh, in their lives. Mm. Um, so Arnold Schwarzenegger is, is he's won Mr. Universe several times over. He's won Mr. Olympia many times and he is kind of at the height yeah. of his career. He is just about to retire. And then Lou Ferrigno is coming along and he's relatively new to it. Um, and there's kind of like a rivalry there. Yeah. And you can really see Arnie is so charismatic. You can see why they focused on him in the documentary. And yeah, that, I really enjoyed that about, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting really from this. I thought he was just going to be one of the characters rather than becoming the main character. But you can just see how much the camera loves him, mm -hmm. really. And he is, and he's genuinely quite funny uh, in the way he kind of. There's moments where he's teasing Luther yeah. a little bit when he's, but in a kind of quite fun way because he's sitting together with his family, eating breakfast before the competition, and just having an you know. I don't know. There's something about him that um, I just I could see why he would be about to re announce his retirement and then go on to become a movie star. I think uh, he always kind of wanted, just... like he. <clears throat> I've been doing a bit of background reading on Arnie for this, and plus, you know, he's just such a fascinating guy. But there is like Arnie the mm -hmm. myth, and there is Arnie the character, and he almost mm -hmm. like blends a lot of of truth with fiction and he kind of mm. I, you get the sense that he is very involved in curating his image and he always has been even from the age of like eight years old <laughs> like he's you get mm. this kind of he's got this very like performative aspect to him but um mm. somehow it's, it's kind of not inauthentic um but he is really really funny and engaging and he like the first bit of pumping iron is him telling a story about how bodybuilding is like sex and he just he throws it oh, kind yeah. of offhand and then the rest of the film is yeah. him just saying a lot of like things that sound kind of shocking but he's just like he's like yeah you know <laughs> this is this is who yeah. i am this is what i do <laughs> the greatest feeling you can get in a gym or the most satisfying feeling you can get in the gym is the pump Let's say you train your biceps. Blood is rushing into your muscles, and that's what we call the pump. Your muscles get a really tight feeling, like your skin is going to explode any minute. You know, it's really tight. It's like somebody blowing air into, into your muscle. It just blows up, and it feels different. It feels fantastic. It's as satisfying to me as uh, coming is. You know, as uh, having sex with a woman and coming. So can you believe how much I am in heaven? I'm like uh, getting the feeling of coming in the gym. I'm getting the feeling of coming at home. I'm getting the feeling of coming backstage when I pump up, when I pose out in front of 5,000 people. I get the same feeling. So I'm coming day and night. I mean, it's terrific, right?
<laughs> he is very good at the sound bites. But like, there's the whole thing, I guess it's possibly become a little bit controversial where he talks about how he can relate to dictator or not relate to them, but he admires dictators and people who've got a strong image. He's, you know, he's, he admires powerful people, even fascists, I think he said. And then he also balances that out by saying even Jesus, like people who've got a lot of power and people look up to them and respect them. He, he admires that in other people, which I thought was quite interesting. <laughs> No, just I just, I think there's a lot of this like trying to be shocking and trying to provoke with the stuff yeah. that he's saying. Sure, but of course, then he did later on become a Republican governor, so it all makes sense. So he is, yeah, he's a megalomaniac, isn't he? He wants to rule the world. <laughs> Next stop, the presidency. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was always part of his master plan. He did have a few um, film roles, quite small roles, before this. Like he's in, he's got a background role in the Long Goodbye a few years before this. He he did actually have a starring role. I don't know. Have you ever seen Hercules in New York? Yeah, like a long time he, ago. <laughs> yeah, they call they call in the credits. He's called Arnold Strong, which is pretty funny. Wasn't he dubbed um, in that because, because his accent was too thick? Yeah, and they didn't think audiences would understand he is. him. Yeah, he's got this really bland American voice. Although the version I've seen of Hercules in New York, they I think. They'd lost the. I don't know what had happened, but it was his original voice on it, uh, and not the dubbed voice. And it does sound pretty strong at the time. And it's a terrible, terrible film, but it's also really funny. There's yeah. a bit where he wrestles somebody dressed as a bear in Central Park. <laughs> so it's, it's it's worth seeing for that. But he obviously had his sight. He had his sights set pretty high. Um, and you can almost I don't know, but. I don't know whether anybody watching this documentary would have thought he's going to become the biggest movie star of the 80s and possibly the 90s. Probably I'm not no, sure if that was like, necessary. Because it hadn't been done. Because, he, I mean, you have to kind of admire mm. him in that he he knew he was going to be a star. Like, he went out into, into the world and, you know, made lots of sacrifices and just knew he was going to be, like, uh, literally king of the universe <laughs> like mr universe mm. mr olympia um and then he had a plan to retire from bodybuilding and then pursue an acting career and this is a guy who is a foreigner trying to make it in the mainstream hollywood industry with a very thick accent and an unpronounceable name to people at the time and you just mm -hmm. have to admire the fact that he's like yeah no i am gonna be the biggest movie star and then he was <laughs> like he has at, at the time, just the idea of an actor breaking in from Europe uh, who kind of has that kind of strong accent and fi would find it difficult to position themselves in the market. The fact that he then kind of went on to do that, I think is pretty impressive. It's interesting how they talk about the, in the film, he's just massive. He's such a, he's so is, huge. Is he not, movie. is he not like short though? Is he not shorter than Lou Ferrigno? Is that not a whole thing? <laughs> Yes, he is shorter than Lou Ferrigno is about. Like he's huge. He's I, think, I think they said, yeah, I think they said Arnie was 6'2 and Lou Ferrigno is 6'5, I think. And mm. Lou Ferrigno weighed an extra 50 pounds. So he was definitely bigger. And I think they were hoping that that would mean he had a chance of beating Arnie because he's so much bigger. But Arnie had the charisma, I think. And did you notice when in that final competition, Whenever they they're reading out the names of all the contestants, they always said the one and only Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like mm. you could tell just from the announcing, 
that it was a foregone conclusion who was going to win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was already such um, a—he yeah. was just in that in that bodybuilding world. He was just mm. like the figurehead, wasn't he? At that point, yeah. But so there's him and Lou, but we also get to meet some of the other contestants uh, along the way. So, did you have any other any sort of favorite characters from um, the movie? Well, the the school teacher guy um, with the mm. the comb over. What was his name? You liked him, didn't Mike you? Katz? Yeah, Mike Katz. He, um, oh, yeah, he's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt he's really the, sorry for him. Yeah, because this what I like about this film is it feels very much it it fits in the mold of the kind of um, like the Maisel's brothers or or don't look is it don't look back the Bob Dylan film. So mm. sort, of, sort of fly on the wall stuff, and it all. But the thing it made me think think of the most was Christopher Guest documentaries, like obviously Spinal Tap, but also mm. uh, Best Best in Show in particular, um, and the folk music one. I forgot what that's called. But anyway, but Mike Katz feels like a character straight out of a Christopher Guest movie. That yeah. you, one one of the things I loved with a lot of these guys, you see all these guys are at the gym or we're talking to them backstage and things and they've got these huge kind of adonis classical bodies but then they've got 70s mustaches and 70s hair <laughs> and mike katz mike katz is like that he's like he's really ripped but then he's got the most kind of 70s comb over hair he has the head um, of a primary school teacher and the body of a mr yeah. which he is and i was thinking he talks about being a primary school teacher and just imagine the awe and slight fear that those kids must have of him. But he's also the nicest guy. Oh, he's, and he the, seems the whole super nice. And him. they make fun of him. And it's yeah. just like, oh, he's such a nice guy. Yeah, because he's, he's an amateur in this professional world. And he goes to South Africa to this contest. And he's got a friend there who's also competing against him, who plays a prank on him, which I thought was all completely spontaneous. But you think it was actually set up for the I think camera, it was staged. I, I think it was dramatised. Yeah. But it was pretty funny where he's hidden his T-shirt to just to try and mess with his mind a little bit. So he's walking around trying to find his missing T-shirt. Like, he only like would you really go to a contest and only have one T-shirt with you? I don't quite. I would. I suppose. <laughs> That's something I would do and forget my toothbrush as well. Like there's lots of psyching out in this film. The the bodybuilders try and just get one over on each other. They play pranks, but they also try and intimidate each other. But they don't intimidate. I mean, they intimidate each other with their own muscles. They walk around and just kind of work out and they train together. Yeah. And they're like, I weigh this much and you weigh this much. But they, they there's a psychological element to kind of like, especially Ar the way Arnold Schwarzenegger relates to all the other bodybuilders. And especially Lou Ferrigno, the way he just kind of like he's he's pretending to be joking, but he's also psyching him out. He's like, "Yeah, you can you can't yeah. do this," or you know, "I'm I'm the best, I'm the biggest, I'm gonna win." I'm not I'm not paraphrasing, but that's kind of his energy. The contrast between Arnie and Lou is really interesting, especially because Arnie is he's a California guy and he's training at this gym where all the kind of muscle guys train. This massive, really brightly lit quite airy gym and all these good looking buff guys looking at themselves in the mirror constantly checking how their muscles are doing and then we go to brooklyn and we see lou ferrigno in this this brown really kind of dingy gym that's got brown wooden paneling 
and uh, all these guys in the background that again look like extras in a Scorsese movie. Um, and it just seems and he's for definite. Although Ferrigno is bigger, he's definitely the underdog in this film in the way he's portrayed. He's, he's obviously younger yeah. and everything as well. And obviously he's also um, I'm not sure how deaf he is, but he's definitely hard of hearing, which is interesting. Mm. They talk yeah, about that a little bit. Yeah, he's partially deaf. Um, he doesn't have yeah. a lot of nous, like he doesn't have a lot of guile, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He has no. all the guile. He has all. The, he's manipulating yeah. people constantly. And it, yeah, it's partly through the editing as well that they decided to make Arnie the star of the movie, because Lou, because Arnie does a lot of talking, and Lou doesn't really get to speak that much to camera himself. He's, we have conversations between him and his dad, but he's not talking about how much he loves bodybuilding and telling funny stories and. We yeah. don't get that much of that with him, really. We're not getting his motivations, but we sure as hell hear a lot about Arnie's. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, it's and it's kind of sad at the end, but then because Arnold retires when he's won again, spoiler alert, he wins again. Um, that is a the, massive the, spoiler. The, yeah. <laughs> it's the out. biggest spoiler. The, the, sense, the sense is that because he's retired now, he's Lou has got a chance next year because he's a lot younger than Arnie, I think. Um, yeah. Because little a... did Lou know that in a few years he was also going to be a massive star on television, but painted green. Yeah, he's he was the Incredible Hulk. Um, there is kind of a funny story there. I read about, unfortunately, probably on Wikipedia or something, I can't remember, but I read about uh, they, they, both, they both auditioned for the Incredible Hulk. Lou Frigno and Arnie, oh. they both auditioned for it, but um, Lou got it because he was taller. Uh, uh, so that is why Lou Frigno kind of got the role. Sense. Yeah. And then at that point, you know, um, Arnie was like, Arnie was doing, just about to do Conan a couple of years later, but he wasn't like a massive star yet. Mm. So that must have really kind of, yeah. Yeah. That must have hurt. Because the, <laughs> I think they, I think they starred that first series of The Incredible Hulk came out the same year as as this film, so Lou Frigno actually became a kind of media star on the television at least before Arnie really did. Um, and he did. I'm just looking on the IMDb. I think he did about eighty odd episodes or something of, of the Hulk. So he sort of got in the immediate short term at least. He got the last laugh by becoming a big television star whilst Arnie was still sort of scraping around for film roles. I think Arnie probably but had the last last laugh, yeah. <laughs> the ultimate yeah, laugh. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he, although he, he finished he finished Hulk in 1982 and he's basically been trading on that ever since. But he also did do a couple of fun Italian films. He went to Italy and did a Hercules movie in the 80s and a Sinbad movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, yeah His I Hercules film... That. Is yeah. It, yeah, the Hercules one. It's actually Luigi Luigi Cozzi directed that, and it's a it's it's like Hercules meets Star Wars, basically. It's more sci-fi than it is fantasy. Uh, it's pretty funny. Didn't we just do a podcast on a film like that? I know. Yeah, <laughs> let's, probably, let's not let's not go there. Yeah, but what? So, what do you think about the sort of the tone of Pumping Iron? Is it? Are they like? It is very, like you said, there's a female one, Pumping Iron 2. This is a very male-focused film. There's a lot of testosterone I on screen. Thought, there's very little 
Okay, so I tried to find how much academic work there had been on this film, and I found a hell of a lot more on Pumping Iron 2 um, relating to kind of gender in the body and the monstrous feminine and all that stuff. But what I, th I think Pumping Iron, the original, is actually really interesting from a sort of gender gender studies and you know gendered body perspective, because it's you'd expect it to be kind of there's a lot of masculinity and you know masculine performance but there's also a lot of, that's also undermined constantly and there's actually like mm. all of these men are narcissists they're obsessed with their bodies and there is they're obsessed with each other's bodies in a way that they're attracted yeah. to each other but they're also jealous of each other and there is some great yeah. kind of that tone is really interesting. And I wanted to kind of dig into that more and look at more academic work on that, but I couldn't really find that much. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's there's yeah, definitely I mean, like, the film is kind of important for talking about masculinity. Maybe we can ask Adam about that yeah. later. Because it's not, it's not camp, is it? I wouldn't say it was camp or even, it's not, there's not even a sense that when the filmmakers are putting it together, they were trying to, uh highlight any sort of homoeroticism or anything like that there's no which could have been i think in, in another you could have made this same film and made it a lot more overt if there was any sense of sort of campness in what they're doing but i think that doesn't really come across i don't know what no do you not really i mean it's wasn't it was it made by someone who is sort of in that world or involved in that world yeah. um it kind of comes across as quite respectful um i think they ran yeah. out of money at a certain point and had to try and raise it by getting the bodybuilders to kind of perform on stage and raise money uh -huh. um so i think it's actually from within the world of bodybuilding this documentary yeah. so not really and it never feels like we're kind of making fun or looking at it from the outside mm. it always feels as though we're inside that world um and you know when we're kind of literally in the gym it feels like as the camera's kind of positioned as though we are actually kind of in the gym um talking to mm. these guys uh but i just find yeah. it really fascinating the way they they talk about their bodies the way they look at each other like there's this great bit at the mm. start where arnie is talking about what bodybuilding is and he says he compares it to sculpting and he said you know um mm. a sculptor will sculpt a figure and maybe add more clay if if you know something's not symmetrical a bodybuilder will will you know just lift more and add more to this muscle mm -hmm. so he compares it to sculpting yeah. the body and to, to art and there's also like a whole grecian olympian kind of um uh like aspect to how these men are statuesque <laughs> like figurines like almost yeah. sculptures absolutely I also really liked the fact that the very opening um, shots of this film uh, is Arnie and one of the other guys learning how to move from a ballet dancer. I thought that was very interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That's not yeah. the thing that you would expect to see at the beginning of this film. You'd expect to go straight in with the weights, but it's actually they're, they're learning about how to move when they're doing their poses, which I thought mm. was very interesting. They're a lot more, um, like these guys, once they're out on stage at these shows, they're not lifting weights. The weight lifting is all behind the scenes. It's purely about the posing. Yeah. And they are Which, conscious um, of being looked at all the time. They're always conscious mm, of being looked at. Yeah. I was going to ask if you work out, like if you like have ever done bodybuilding, Adrian. <laughs> do you even lift, bro? Do you even lift, Adrian? <laughs> uh, what do you bench? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, 
I'm lifting right now whilst I'm recording, just off camera here. You're just lifting your son in one arm, just above your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, well, I, it's interesting watching stuff like this and then also the marathon over the weekend did make me think I really should do more, really get more exercise. Um, one of my colleagues at work was running the marathon yesterday. I've got other colleagues who cycle to work every day and it makes me think I should get out there a bit more. But no, I did once own a weights bench when I was a student. <laughs> you once owned, had, but you, know but you didn't the, use it, but you didn't use yeah. it. You just owned I mainly, it. I mainly used, yeah, I mainly used it to hang washing on in my, uh, in my room. It's one of those things where people buy weights benches and then immediately regret it and then sell it to you for a tenner, you know. It was one of those. So occasionally <laughs> I would, I'd give it a go, but no, feeble. Yeah, I see consistency. Absolutely that's the feeble. thing. It has to be every day. Yeah. Or, you know, every yeah. other day. I don't know. I think it might be dangerous to do it every day, but yeah. Um, consistency, yeah. Adrian. That's what's required to build up muscles yes. like Arnie. Actually, you mentioned their injuries. We don't see a lot of that. I was expecting there to be more drama with people tearing ligaments and dropping weights on their feet and all that but there wasn't any of that they made it seem like it's perfectly safe maybe like the first rule of being a bodybuilder is that you don't drop the weights on your feet (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe that's maybe that's what you learn in week one but no you're right there wasn't a sense of like the body wearing out i guess or being like injured yeah yeah or just that what what are the long-term health implications of having your body like that because obviously, yeah. they, if once they stop, once they stop pumping iron, it all starts to sag a bit. I think. Well, yeah, I, I mean, think, I don't really know, but as the Radiohead song says, "Gravity always wins." Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that is what I, I didn't realize. Tom York was uh, bench pressing when he was singing about that, but that makes sense. No, I'm not an image I can hold in my head. That's <laughs> not something <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, you're right. Actually, I expected more, more of that stuff. Um, like more Mm. of what, what actually, what does this take from the body? What does it entail to go through all of this? And, Mm. you know, having older bodybuilders to kind of tell the younger, uh, guys like what to expect. There's one, I think my favorite shot from the movie is when Lou Ferrigno walks into his gym in Brooklyn and the camera kind of lingers on this guy standing in the background and he's got like a just a white vest on he's got a bit of a paunch he's got sort of slightly receding curly hair and he's just doing one barbell in one arm that's quite small and you see him just look at Ferrigno as he goes past and then look look at the camera and he's just in the background doesn't speak or nothing and for some reason that's the guy of all the people in the film he's the one that's stuck in my mind the most as this kind of image of 70s New York in this gym he's doing his best he's a little chubby guy Mm. with his one weight in his arm and then right you know the Hulk just comes walking past him and it's got to be a bit intimidating it's got to make you feel like oh what's the point (laughs) yeah but yeah like they're all they're all kind of friends the the bodybuilders but they're all also kind of competing against each other so there's yeah, friendly rivalry, um, but also like a, a you get the sense of constant obsession with each other's bodies. 
um, like, you know, just kind of comparing yourself endlessly to this parade of hyper-muscular men must be a bit draining. Tell Louis that I said hi. Yeah. Said to his father that I said hi. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in South Africa. Okay. In other words, you want me to be very nice? Very nice to him. Okay. Because he needs a lot of help. Uh -huh. See, the king of the hill can only go down. That's right. The king of the hill can only go down. Or There's stay no... up. Or he can stay on that hill. Right. That's the, the other hill. possibility. Stay on the hill. Right. Stay up. But the, but the wolf People on the hill... Over the hill. But look, the wolf on the hill, right, is not as hungry as the wolf climbing the hill. That's true. See? He's not as hungry, but not when he wants hungry. the food, it's there. I'd like to welcome to the podcast now Dr. Adam Locks, and he is the Program Coordinator of Media Studies at the University of Chichester. You um, are primarily a, a horror guy, right? In terms of your teaching, my experience of, of what you teach is, is you teach a lot of horror and um, Hollywood and, and all this kind of stuff, and you also quite regularly hold events at the University of Chichester, including some quite exciting events over the last few years or so that's true well I've definitely moved probably like you like a lot of us much more to cinema and film has been where I've wanting to where I've wanted to move for a long time really and that's yeah my comfort zone that's what I do so yeah horror war films um Hollywood as you said um global tv and cinema so they're, they're the sorts of areas I look at yeah I do tv as well and yeah we do do events pre-covid we did lots of events and of course then that went by the wayside um and someone said well just keep doing them by zoom but the whole point of them was we wanted them to be theatrical and in a theater where everyone's very excited about the guest appearing and you had some music and a showreel before they came on so it was all that pizzazz was always very exciting so yes i'm looking forward to getting back to that because yeah we had yeah. um the last guest was uh, robert wade who obviously was one of the writers of no time to die uh, oh, cool. he came came on just before covid hit so uh, we we're all expecting the film to be released but it wasn't until almost two years later yeah but there, anyway <laughs> and um so that's quite a long way from bodybuilding yes. and that's sort of an interesting journey that you've gone on from bodybuilding to uh interviewing hollywood celebs um, it's a bit different yes it's strange i mean this sounds like this sounds like this is your life but um mm. yes I, I um very quickly i i, I was an english lit uh, american studies undergraduate and i did my my um, dissertation on bodybuilding because i was trying to find something interesting to do and i, I was very into nietzsche um, at the time like, like a lot of students and i <laughs> came across a book called exceedingly nietzsche which sounds like something from Mr. Kipling. And exceedingly Nietzsche had this incredible essay by a guy who sounds like he's from Harry Potter. He was called Alfonso Lingus. <laughs> that sounds kind of rude. <laughs> does Actually, yes. I've got to be careful here. Uh, so, and Alfonso Lingus um, wrote this, um, this essay called Orchids and Muscles, which was all about bodybuilding. I'd never read anything on the subculture, and it was fascinating. And, of course, the all. There's an area for research because we're obviously always looking for the obscure, aren't we? I mean, look mm. at your, look at what you two do. Um, mm. You know, look at the, uh, you know, the strange, the weird, the marginal, the misunderstood, and bodybuilding just ticked all those boxes for me. And I did that for my undergraduate study, and then I did it as a PhD as well. Yeah, it's really, so. it's such a fascinating area of research. I'd never even considered it. Um, like yourself, yeah. I'm an English lit sort of history undergrad. And I was sort of looking for my niche as well. And that ended up being, you know, music hall and cinema. Um, 
but uh bodybuilding is just kind of like really out there um and what mm. is it like uh so were you kind of researching the history of it when you first started or was it was it more like uh the industry as it is as it was um you know at the time it was all sorts really it was a mix of approaches but i suppose my comfort zone has always been gender studies gender and sexuality so it was looking at bodies and just trying to understand these bodies and how did these bodies get to where they were in terms of excessiveness but at the same time it was very interested in as you say the industry you know who runs these competitions and what's the ideology behind it and how you know, how did things work? I was very interested about how it worked. So there was a variety of things I was doing. And then when it went to the PhD, it also became quite historical as well. Hmm. Um, and obviously there was a number of key sources I used as well. I mean, I should stress as well from the PhD came couple of books with Routledge so I was very lucky mm-hmm. to um, be co-authored with a guy called Niall Richardson you know him Adrian from Sussex yeah. so um, yeah so that was critical okay. readings in bodybuilding exactly it's yeah. a great book to read if you can't sleep at night just pick that up <laughs> pick that up you'll be out it's surprisingly heavy it is heavy, like the men that were. As you would expect, as you would expect. Yeah. You've got to have a workout to lift it up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You can use it as a dumbbell. But in all honesty, I mean, what was fantastic about that book was that um, we managed to bring in all the, I mean, the world authorities on bodybuilding from academic perspectives, from a variety of different, well, you know, sociology, um, history, and, and brought them in to talk about bodybuilding. It was amazing. Um, mm. particularly someone I really looked up to called Kenneth, Kenneth Dutton, who's written the best book on bodybuilding called uh, The Perfectible Body, which is the definitive book on, on the subject. If you want to read that, Laura, I can't recommend mm. it enough. It's, it's interesting looking at this stuff from kind of any any other perspective than just the bodybuilding itself. Like You'd expect all of the writing to be about aimed at people who are doing it. Right? But what you're writing is not necessarily aimed at bodybuilders. No, it's definitely not. That's a really, really good point. Because again, I've done a number of conferences um, where there have been a lot of bodybuilding bodybuilders in the audience. And mm. I am the outsider. And again, like you two, there's something very attractive about as academics. You want to be an outsider. I don't want to be part of the group. I've never liked that. And it's mm. been very interesting talking to them about their own sport and just giving slightly different perspectives. And actually, it's always gone down really, really well, actually. Um, obviously, I've never tried to insult anyone. I've only ever had one moment where, yeah, one individual got a bit funny, but I can't was, really talk about that because I could get like this. Is that in, in the Q&A? Do they ask you, so do you even lift? <laughs> I think it was quite... It was quite obvious that I did. I mean, I looked tiny. I looked like something from a Lowry painting compared to these people. I mean, they were absolutely enormous, but actually lovely. And the community is very interesting and uh, mm. yeah, very welcoming to me when I went to America a number of times to give papers to this these sorts of people. And, and so, so the, what's the attitude towards from from the bodybuilders themselves? How do they feel about what they are doing? Which I think they would they consider a sport, right? I mean, that's I mean, how do they really... consider how do they consider people taking a theoretical interest I think in what for them is a very practical thing. I, 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 think, I think it's fine. I think it's interesting what you've said about sport, though, because obviously we're talking about pumping iron, and I can't mm. wait to hear what you two think about pumping iron. Mm. But the very first scene where we see Lou, I mean Lou, um, obviously Arnold and Franco Colombo with a ballerina, yeah, and you're thinking, what's going on? But actually that, I think, is a very interesting comment on what bodybuilding is. It is yeah. sport. I think the sport part comes in the training because the training is brutal. 
It's brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the art part comes obviously in the display of the body. You know, yeah, it's closer, about the aesthetic. it's closer to kind of catwalk and a fashion show. It is a little bit. They're, they're all just yeah. posing for the audience. Right? But there's more with bodybuilding. It's, there's, there's pageantry as well. That's a big mm. part Yeah, I was going to ask that actually. How far is it a sport? How far is it an art? Because one of the things in Pumping Iron that Arnold says early on is that he compares it to sculpting clay, sculpting the That's body, right. the self, That's the right. body, like like a sculpture. And I just think yes. that is really fascinating. And that kind of cued me into think Arnold Schwarzenegger is a pretty interesting man, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's fascinating. I mean, two things. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, that. They are, I mean, this goes back, I mean, the, the sort of celebration of muscular men goes all the way back to, well, thousands of years, but particularly ancient statuary, Greek statuary, clearly. They, they, and these bodybuilders are, you're right, they are living statues. And in fact, when, um, when, when you know, the filmmakers for Pumping Iron, that they ran out, ran out of money, these bodybuilders were exhibited in, um, in, in, in a museum in, in New York and exhibited literally on these sort of, these rotating podiums for um, historians of art who were talking about them as living works of art. It's one of the few times bodybuilding hasn't been seen as kitchen camp. It was actually looked at as high art at that point. But you're right, the sculpture link is a very, very strong one. And bodybuilders often have spoken about themselves as sculpture. You know, like almost like as um, Arnold says, isn't it, with his deltoids, it's like slapping on some clay here and there and you know, to enhance the body. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it might come as a surprise to people watching this film. If you're more familiar with Arnold from his 80s action movies, he's very <laughs> articulate. He's, he's, he's articulate in a way that he yeah. doesn't get much of a chance to do in his films. And so this sort of comes as a surprise, I think. I think he's an absolute revelation. I mean, don't forget bodybuilding. I mean, Arnold hadn't really been interviewed by anyone outside the bodybuilding subculture until after this film. I mean, he had done some films before this. He'd done oh, yeah. The Terrible Hercules in New York. Oh, I'm sure you're going to cover that at some point. I, too. I love that movie. <laughs> it's a powerful it's film. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, he'd also done The Long Goodbye, where he actually plays, I think, a sort of someone sort of hard of hearing who's also a mute, um, and Stay mm. Hungry from 76 with uh, mm. Jeff Bridges and Sally Field. So he had done some movies. And clearly in Pumping Iron, he makes it very clear he wants to be an actor, doesn't he? That is yeah. what he's aiming for. And he'd already started that. And he just he just oozes charisma. And you're right, he's mm-hmm. articulate, he's funny. You just want to be with him. Yeah, he's he's such a personality. Um, I mean, there's kind of like, there's a really sort of a narcissistic element to it. But it's oh, yeah. kind of the kind of narcissism that, like you said, makes you want to be in the room and just like, con- like conversing with him for hours. <laughs> you have so yeah. much to say. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And he's the centre of attention, isn't it? I mean, again, the film is very constructed, isn't it, with Lou Ferringo, who's obviously his nemesis, and the poor downtrodden, you know, huge bodybuilder with his dad, who has seems to have no friends, but just this really bullying father. And Arnold, who's just surrounded by friends and women. You know, he's, yeah. you know, they are clearly set as sort of binary opposites aren't they in, in this he just like the way he talks about women and the way he's just like offhand he makes a comment about like you know something to do with sex and it's like he just doesn't care like he's just no. really comfortable with himself with his body he, and with his like sexuality well, he, is. he is and he you're right about the sexuality because he's talking about obviously 
you know, the pump, you know, the idea when you're filling the muscle with blood and it becomes so tight and it's like coming. So, so I'm coming at the gym and then I go, home, I'm coming at home, I'm coming all the time. So yeah, <laughs> it is, and, and again, there's quite a sort of, I think, an ideological imperative behind pumping iron that it is trying to heterosexualize something which had been quite demonized and sort of seen as, you know, just for, for gay people, for gay men, um, which yeah. it wasn't. I mean, I should say pumping iron, it came out first as a book in 74, and there's a lovely, well, it's not a lovely story, actually, it's an awful story. The New York Times actually refused to review it because they just called it fag bait. I mean, mm. that's how it oh, was looked God. at. And so things have changed a lot. And bodybuilding was an important documentary for changing people's attitudes. Yeah, and you mentioned in your, um, in your introductory chapter in the Critical Readings book about mm. Steve Reeves. And obviously oh, yeah. that sort of ties in with, you know, he was, he was appearing a lot in what they were calling beefcake. That's magazines, right. I suppose, yeah. and and the the Peplum films, and the, yeah. when you read about the history of those, it does seem to be that the prime readership were gay men, and so there was an element of campness to to all of this, and particularly again, the Peplum films are often described as being very camp in the yeah, way the camera camp. lingers on the, the the male form. So I thought it was interesting. There's a complete lack of any homoeroticism at all in this film. That seems to be a very sure. deliberate. You're right. Although there are moments, aren't there? I mean, there's a moment where Arnold and, uh, and the guy, there's a bodybuilder, bodybuilder called Ed Corney, and they're literally showing each other their muscles in the shower together. Um, I, I do think it's got a certain homoerotic or homosocial mm. element. Yeah. So, but, but you're right. You're right. It's very, very different. And um, mm. clearly, again, there is a strong ideological imperative to change things because bodybuilding really particularly from the 50s um had started to get a very bad press there was um someone called uh, bob miser magazine called i think athletic model guild which was basically a porn mag with bodybuilders and that really tarnished the image even more really um but yeah so it's it's, it's interesting but how arnold is trying to again heterosexualize things you know after all that but, um, but Steve Reeves was someone he really looked up to, I should say. Um, mm. A very important bodybuilder, actually. Um, and again, that links to the opening of Pumping Iron as well. Do you remember the opening credits when we see all those old sort of strong yeah. images of strong men and uh, muscle men? Um, and some of those figures are very, very important for bodybuilding's history. Um, there's two people up there in, in, in particular. Uh, one name you'll know, Charles Atlas. Mm-hmm. Charles Atlas, who you might remember in the back of comics. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, you, the, the kid getting like, sand kicked in his face. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And he was selling something called the dynamic tension um, method, which was really using your body's own resistance to, to build muscle. So he was actually a bodybuilder who didn't lift weights. But clearly he was an important person sort of Americanizing bodybuilding because actually bodybuilding very much starts in Europe. There's another figure on that opening credits called Eugene Sandow, the last man we see um, in the opening credits who's um, with a big moustache and he does the mm. somersault. You remember he does the backflip, actually. Oh, yeah. And he's actually credited as the, world, the first bodybuilder. So the, the early Schwarzenegger who was making in the early 20th century something like $1,500 a week exhibiting his body. I mean, he was a fabulously rich man. So, and he really kicked helped, you know, with the whole 19th century, late 19th century um, fitness craze, which we always think it's the 70s and 80s where you get a fitness craze. But actually, it's the, the Victorians. That's where you get the birth of, I don't know, Kellogg cereal and stuff like that. Yeah, they were total health were fanatics, weren't they? Total, big, <laughs> big time. But then it also tapers off really at the end of the First World War and then comes back in the 20s and 30s in America. So, yeah, it's 
but it's all about the show, isn't it? It's, it's about the display. It's, it is absolutely, and that's what these people are building up to. I mean, the extraordinary thing is they are obviously training. There's that lovely bit again in Pumping Iron where you see on the board they've got 101, 101 days left till the Mr. Mm. Universe and the Mr. Olympia. And, um, you know, these people are training and training and training for literally to be exhibited just for a few hours. So mm. you are training for years or months and months just for a few hours display which is amazing, really. Mm. Um, and it's all about how you look on the day. You know, are mm. you going to be big enough? Are you going to be defined enough? Um, and if you're not, you're not going to win, as we see with people like Mike Katz, bless him. Oh, are there Mike like, Katz. it kind of, I really love the, the because this was all new to me, to be honest. So I kind of found it really interesting the way the bodies moved when they were on display. You know, this kind of way to move your arms to make particular muscles stand out. There was a kind yes. of art to it. And yes. it also made me wonder, like there must be so many ways that you can game that on the day. Like if you dehydrate yourself and then drink lots of water, maybe. Or if you like, there must be so many ways to make yourself pop and so oh, many absolutely. tricks and, you know, Yeah. There are, and you're right. And I love the way you say, make yourself pop. That's a great prescription. And yeah, it's very important. I mean, they are very dehydrated as well, because what you're trying to do is reduce how much body, you know, water you've got in the body and reduce all the subcutaneous fat. So literally your skin looks like tissue paper at the end. And that becomes much more extreme by the eighties where you can see literally every sinew under the skin. I mean, there's a Another wonderful book by a guy called Sam Fussell. It's called, um, what's it called? Confessions of an Unlikely Bodybuilder. And he talks about how at competition, he's got so little body fat, he can't even walk across the floor without being in pain because there's no, there's no fat tissue on the, on the bottom of his feet. I mean, it's, I, it's it, just horrible. It doesn't sound healthy at all. <laughs> no. No, again, without sounding libelous here, I, I don't think it's very healthy. At a extreme professional level, mm. there's nothing healthy about bodybuilding. No, no. And Not is sure. there any? I was wondering, is there any crossover between what these guys do and you know people who do weightlifting in contests? Because I thought it was interesting that these guys are not lifting weights on stage. They, it is it's the body, but yeah. yet they can clearly lift pretty well. They're strong. Yeah, you know, these are strong people. They used to be, and then they separated. And because mm. so bodybuilding just became about just displaying the body. Um, mm. So that happened later on. Um, sort of, I suppose, really the 30s and 40s, where bodybuilding became very clearly, it's just about this rather than what you're doing back there and showing how much you can lift. But you're right, Adrian. I mean, these guys are incredibly strong. I mean, there's another bodybuilder a black bodybuilder actually called ronnie coleman who was mr olympia for many years and was just living you can see him on youtube you cannot believe how much he's he's lifting but now unfortunately he's totally crippled it's really sad when you see him he's on crutches mm. and in a very bad way oh god um, i know yeah check oh, him out. Ronnie, ronnie coleman but at the time one of the most amazing physiques ever seen in bodybuilding the last thing to mention from what i've read of your writing on this you mentioned about sort of schwarzenegger um, you call him the apex and the nadir of American bodybuilding and the American classic body. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that, particularly in line of what you just said about bodybuilding becoming more extreme after yeah. Pompeii. Good question. You two are good. Um, so, um, he, well, in the well, clearly he's, I mean, pumping iron is incredibly important because it puts bodybuilding on the map. 
clearly he is without doubt the greatest proponent, the greatest seller of bodybuilding, isn't he? And there's no doubt about it. There's never been anyone like him since. So yeah, he really does help bodybuilding become that much better known. There's a huge rise in the amount of gyms spreading across America and other countries. So it's very important. That's that's the apex. But then the deal is, unfortunately, it's a bit like, um, I'll give you an example in terms of horror films, in terms of after Psycho, you get Halloween and people think, well, if you're going to make another slasher, you have to have more killings. You know, you get more and more extreme. And it's a bit like that in bodybuilding. The bodies have become more are more extreme. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the, the, the physiques which come out by the, by, particularly by the 90s, um, so much bigger. In fact, I, it reached the point where I would say Arnold would struggle to win any of the amateur contests eventually because the bodies had moved on that far. Um, and that was to do not only with, you know, better dietary and training methods, but particularly, again, allegedly, um, drug usage. Um, mm. Because the cocktails of drugs being used by that point was extraordinary. Now, again, allegedly, um, I think it's very likely the bodybuilders in Pumping Iron would be using steroids, or particularly Dynabol, or Dibol as it was called, called, which was a steroid which comes out in the 50s. Um, but there were many, many more used after that. So it becomes far more extreme in terms of your yeah, size and vascularity. You know, it's and and unfortunately you get more deaths as well mm. uh, because of that as well. Is that because it's kind of unregulated from that point of view? Was it not banned? Or? Well, there have been moments where they've tr- they've done drug testing, but I think it's been quite tokenistic because the trouble is if you reduce the size of these guys and how ripped and diced and sliced they're the terms they use. You, you don't bring in the audience. People want to see freaks. And again, bodybuilding very much relates back to the freak show. You know, people want to see extreme extremity. Um, you know, people who are looking a little bit more normal aren't going to draw in the crowds. So in many ways, I think, allegedly, the authorities, I think, looked away more than they probably should have. And the same thing happened for female bodybuilding as well. I mean, if you look at the trajectory of female bodybuilding, which starts late 70s, and of course, there's Pumping Iron 2, mm-hmm. which is all about the women, an extraordinary documentary, if you haven't seen it. Yeah, Again, yeah. you can see how far women go. But by the end of the 90s, the bodybuilding authorities, the IFBB, which is the International Federation of Bodybuilding, which is the main organiser of these contests, they actually ban the Miss Olympia in the end because they think it's gone too far and they don't think it's selling enough. So it's actually stopped. I was kind of, I was going to ask about um, Pumping Iron 2 because I saw that before I saw Pumping Iron, the first one. Um, And I I was just kind of fascinated by the discourses around these two films um because uh, i think it's great to have your work and to be able to kind of i want to i want to i want to find articles on the male body and pumping iron and you know that from a gender studies perspective um i find that when i was kind of searching for things pumping iron 2 was coming up a lot more because of the um i mean the the way that it's framed is that because it's the female body, it's suddenly monstrous. And therefore we want to look at it, talk about it, write articles about it, think about the female body in relation to this. Um, but the male body kind of gets lost in the conversation. And I just thought that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, it is interesting. And kind of I sad. Mean, it, well, I mean, again, I mean, the thing is, obviously, with male muscularity it's it's a continuum is it? it's much more accepted guys with with big muscles or definition but when, as soon as it's a woman it mm. causes i mean it's more acceptable now i go to my gym and there are women there with bodies you think god i wouldn't mind to look like that wouldn't mind a six-pack like that but it's but when it's taken to an extreme it's still seen as deeply problematic and also what you do get as well is again with drugs is 
strange things happen to, happen to people's sexuality. So for the women, for example, if you're taking lots of steroids, you can start getting things like acromegaly, which is an extension of the, you know, the jaw and the nose, um, hirsutism, mm-hmm. hairs growing everywhere, clit- dramatic clitoral enlargement. I mean, all these things are well, going Well, this on. sounds just fabulous. If, um, exactly. And for the, for <laughs> I'm going to take up bodybuilding. Well, you've got to do it, Laura. <laughs> and for men... Um, what's dramatic is testicular atrophy. You know, the testicles actually shrink to the size of peanuts, allegedly. Um, and gynecomastia, you start getting much more mm. breast tissue around the, the chest. Um, and all this stuff. So you start getting a reverse reversal of the sexual characteristics because of wow. the drugs going on. I know. Wow. So, I know. So there's some weird stuff going on. It's absolutely fascinating. It is, yeah. But clearly those well-documented side effects do not put people off no well not no they 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 don't and obviously steroids i mean i mean this is a whole other conversation are a big big problem you know they're a big problem with you know particularly young boys they are Mm. a major problem um and unfortunately people yeah don't think are you really going to think at 16 about the side effects you just want to get big um I mean, I, years ago, I joined a gym in Eastport, actually, I won't mention the name, and I was shocked to be offered as soon as I joined Dynable. I couldn't believe it. I was absolutely gobsmacked. But they were giving them out like sweeties. I didn't tell you them, obviously. <laughs> um, I, I, I was surprised. So there you go. Eastport. Oh, it's a dodgy place here. Be careful. <laughs> Every, everywhere you go, people are massive. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so how did you, out of interest, I mean, how did, what did you both make of uh, Public Eye? I know you've already spoken about it, but how did you find it as a documentary? Um, uh, I loved it. Um, did I, you? Yeah, I did. Um, I kind of, I mean, it's, uh, it's such a long time ago that we spoke about it. It was like a week ago in term time. Yeah. Uh, that, that's like three months. <laughs> um, but uh, I loved the, the sort of way that it looked, The you know, the way that the documentary was sort of, positioned it felt like we were positioned yeah. within this world not looking outside yes. so it wasn't yeah. it wasn't particularly kind of these are this is freakish and this is extreme it was it felt like you know we are the world of bodybuilding and we're inviting you in and that the camera yes. was always positioned as though we were in the room with uh, the bodybuilders and that we were getting a sort of privileged insight I found it fascinating how these bodybuilders looked at each other how they admired each other um I, I kind of really enjoyed the uh the sort of banter that they had it felt very familiar um and it was just a really well-constructed documentary I thought like the choices were interesting to open it with a ballet class is a very interesting and intentional choice it is it is a thesis it is telling us something it is prompting us (laughs) I really like the way that if you if these guys walked into a room you would be quite overwhelmed and intimidated by these guys but the way that we spend time with them they just like they're just normal people. They've got normal family relationships. They play, you know, they play pranks on each other. They, they just. They, I thought it was it did a really good job of humanising them. I, I think that's such a good point by you both, and I think you're right. I mean, there are lots of close-ups as well, aren't there? In this, and we are. It's all about familiarising the unfamiliar, and that's going on mm. a lot um, in that. So, I think it sounds like it succeeded in trying to bring mm. us in and and have a. 
have an affinity with these people who are another any other you know in many other respects totally alien to us particularly as they're in gold's gym venice beach which i've never been to mm. it's a world <laughs> I, it is the mecca of bodybuilding but i've never been there so um i, I think that's really interesting points by both of you I, mean, I, I mentioned i mentioned before as well that there are parts of it that feel like we're watching a christopher guest film <laughs> especially the character of mike katz Oh, he he feels Best straight Mike. out of a of a like a Best in Show or one of those. I love Mike. He's, he's hilarious, and he's a primary school teacher, isn't he? Yes. Oh, no. oh, and when he imagine? doesn't win, when he doesn't win, oh. and he says, oh, "I must go and shake his hand," they, oh my god, know, he's such he's a so... nice man. He's so <laughs> nice. <laughs> I know, and yet he's one of the ones who's rather bullied, isn't he? In it, but again, it's mm. very. We should stress this is a drama documentary. Yeah. There are lots of things in it which are just done for camera. Uh, I mean, he, which again is quite interesting. So when his t-shirt's hidden, yeah, they, you so know, funny. Butler actually plays that up um, to make it look much worse than it was, really, for dramatic effect. I mean, there are mm. lots of things like that. Also, you know, things like Schwarzenegger when he was talking about not going to his dad's funeral, and you're thinking, yeah. oh my god, what? that was not true. That was just, yeah. just you know, just for dramatic effect. So all these things, oh, and really? even Lu- and Lou Ferrigno's dad, who trains with him, is you know a, a real character. Um, his dad never trained with him, but you know, but I said, yeah, but again, said, yeah, actually, it'd be great if you, if you know, for the documentary, you know, we just pretend that you always train with him, with your son. We're okay, oh. I'll do it. So that was totally fictionalized. That's interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. So this does cross a few lines then. It crosses quite a few lines, yes. <laughs> I mean, and again, I mean, I'm trying to remember his name, but um, originally as well, they had, um, oh God, what's his name? I'm trying to look up here what his name is, I've completely forgotten. The chap who was the star of uh, Harold and Maud. I can't remember his name. Uh, oh. But, oh God, is it bad? Court? I'm blanking. He was originally seen, I mean, they shot over 100 hours of pumping iron. It was much, much longer. And they had Bud Court being mentored. They had him being mentored by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was going to help him turn into a big guy. And Bud just thought his scenes were too distracting. So in the end, he left and gave all the money back as well, which was very nice. So he gave his fee back. But that would have been in it as well, which would have been really, you know, quite another fascinating narrative. But Mm. I think in the end, it was a wise decision to, to remove him. You can see that on YouTube, the outro. So, um, so you did another book. Um, a couple of years later called Body Studies. And was that still connected to bodybuilding or was that a slightly different area for you? All sorts. I mean, everything from cyborgs, but there was actually a chapter on bodybuilding as well in that. So yes, there was one more. I had a bit more of the bodybuilding Mm. stuff to get out. Yes, so Mm. I had to sort of purge myself once more. Um, But not Mm. again, Adrian, it's done. Um, My work is done. (laughs) So do you teach on it at all? I like, don't do you actually teach find gender teach. studies. I do. Yeah, I do. Well, gender comes into, for example, I do American TV drama mm. modules. So that's all based around gender and sexuality to look at the various TV shows. So, yes, I do. But I don't talk about bodybuilding anymore. I, I used to give guest lectures on it all the time. But like probably you and Adrian, you just moved to new pastures, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Eventually. Um, so not anymore. But it's still fascinating and so much is you know it's it's changing all the time it's transmogrifying um, a lot of the bodybuilding magazines which were really influential have gone obviously because of you know, the way things are now. um so yet things have really really changed female bodybuilding is, is in better health again um, mm-hmm. but i'm quite i I'm, I'm not as in touch with it as i used to be because obviously i'm not i'm not analyzing mm. so. mm. 
Um, well, we uh, teach a gender studies course here at Hull, and I just think um, I, I teach on it, and I was that's that's just a great week, isn't it? Like the his- bodybuilding, the history of bodybuilding, and the body, and the, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, so, so you don't have anyone talking about bodybuilding yet for any of your courses? No. no. <laughs> Give me a ring. <laughs> Send me a an email. Yeah, no. Well, it's because actually it's one of those things which really does get students very interested because obviously it's these are quite shocking images sometimes mm-hmm. for some people because clearly when you see it obviously you know if I sent you what's going on now it is really jaw-dropping uh, mm-hmm. compared to pumping iron seems so quaint and even when you go back to pumping iron you see the gyms look so primitive that Brooklyn gym uh, I mean it's amazing it's well I so love that low yes. rent it's solar. I mean, obviously, again, that's for the whole purposes of the drama, isn't it? You've got, it's dark, it's dingy, it's full of people who look like they've never lis- lifted a weight. You've got mm. that guy in the white t-shirt, haven't you, doing oh, he, dumbbell reps? Who clearly, I love that guy. He's fantastic. He's so funny. Um, he's great. And then, of course, that's contrasted with what's going on in Gold's Gym, which has all the, you know, the light coming through the skylights. It's right mm. by the palm trees and the beach mm-hmm. and the sea. And, it, you know, clearly, again, it's making very strong contrasts. It's it? very, that's like, it's very new Hollywood. It's very, like, rocky. It well that's interesting you've said that because franco colombo obviously is arnold's friend although arnold you know there's that lovely bit later in the documentary where obviously they're gonna have to compete together aren't they later on arnold in the over 200 pound class franco in the under 200 and you know basically arnold says he's going to win again because basically franco is he's like his son he's like his he's like a child and he will mm-hmm. basically tell him lies so he loses um yeah. but franco sorry i'm going off on a tangent here but franco trained um, our, um, um sylvester stallone actually for i think mm. the rambo films oh, so he was his personal okay. trainer for that so there's a connection there Anyway, tenuous, but there you go. Mm, I kind of love that Lou Ferrigno went for the Hulk role and Arnold went he, as well, and he lost out because he wasn't tall enough. So I just think, wow. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I read that Arnold turned it down because he said he was too good looking. Well, so I could, I could, I, I can't remember what my source was. It could be that it was wrong. It may have, yeah, some. It was some autobiography somewhere. <laughs> well, of course, of course, Arnold would say that, wouldn't he? Of course, he would. <laughs> but of course, Lou did really, really well. And I think, I mean, how did you both feel about Lou? You know, because obviously, Arnold. He's running rings around Lou. And how did you mm. feel about Lou and Arnold's character in it? I thought Lou was. I mean, yeah, it is heavily dramatized. I thought Lou was. Uh, just quietly introverted Um, and he was aware that he was being taken the piss out of but he was just kind of getting on with it Um, I really liked Lou I think Mm. he had a rich internal life that we never got to see because we're so focused on the obvious charisma of Arnie I I really liked that bit right at the end when they're both sitting on the back row of the coach after they're Going back to the airport, whatever it is, and it's my after all, after all that competition, they're still basically like little boys, just messing around, <laughs> having yeah. a good time together. And you can tell that there's no real animosity between them at all. There's a kind of healthy rivalry, but they're still basically mates. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, again, nice. I think uh, again that's a very salient observation because again, you know, Butler and Gaines had to just play up the rivalry when actually these people got on much better than it appears on screen and I think you're right you know on the coach it's quite clear in fact they do get on you know better than you think but I mean Lou was very upset by the documentary when it was released he was very worried how he came came across 
And mm. at the time, he didn't speak very much. Obviously, he had this terrible ear infection, mm. um, which you know gave him, a, you know, you know, a very difficult time not being able to hear um, very well at all. So, and being you know very downtrodden by his father. So, you know, he, he, he was a he was quite as a victim in all sorts of ways. So, in some ways, Arnold, you know, baiting him up when he's baiting him up before they go on stage made me feel very quite fatherly towards Lou um, because he's having bad enough time as it was really with his dad and his disability. Um, Mm. But you're right. I think that the, the the conflict is absolutely played up and Mm. there are moments we realize it's actually not quite as bad as the, as the filmmakers are, are suggesting. And I should sorry say very, very quickly, I mean, pumping iron brought bodybuilding back, you know, into into the limelight, but it's crawled back under a rock in many ways. It's become so extreme; it's mm. almost as subcultural as it was before pumping iron again. So it's mm. sort of looped in on itself in many ways. Mm. Um, but we like that as academics. Yeah, yeah. we didn't really yeah. mention the other documentary about the making of pumping iron. Wasn't there another documentary? Raw. Yes. Yeah, Raw. I haven't seen that for a long time. That was released ooh, twenty, mm, I don't know, twenty-five years or something afterwards. I think, yeah. yeah, where some of them look so old. Mike Katz, oh my goodness, it's quite a shock to see him. Whereas Arnold looks incredible, but I suppose yeah, you would just yeah. when you're he's, a Hollywood. He's always going to look incredible, right? <laughs> he's got I an know. army of personal trainers and like yeah. Yeah, access to the best stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. And uh, But I think, yeah, Raw, uh, I think Raw, yes, is, is interesting because, again, it does talk about the 100 hours of, of extra, you know, of shooting, and you know the, the the various roles or sort of character stereotypes they wanted to sort of play into to make it as dramatic as possible. But yeah, Raw is worth. I think it's on YouTube actually. Mm-hmm. You watch that. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you, Adam. As very interesting as always. Thanks, Adam. I'm, I'm sure pleasure. we will we'll be getting you back on the show at some point. Oh. The show. Ah, the show. We'll be getting you back on the podcast. <laughs> Again, I'm so pretentious uh, at some point in the future. Thank you. I'll I'll retire to the green room. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay. Do you want to do the ending as well or do you want me to do it? I don't mind. Um, That's the end of the show. Actually, let's literally just have that ending. You asking me if I want to do it and then me saying that's the end of the show. Yeah, so there we go. <laughs> Another smooth ending. Yeah. It's, I wanted to just mention, I keep forgetting to do this actually, that we have listeners around the world. I think we might have mentioned this before, but I just thought it would be cool to say that we've got listeners in uh, in Ireland. We've got listeners in Australia uh, and America and the UK. Those are our main places. But we've also apparently had some, but at least one person has listened in Egypt. Um, Egypt? Whoa. I know. Canada, Belgium, France, Poland, I think we know about because of our Polish one. Um, mm-hmm. Japan, India, Malaysia. That's incredible. We're like yeah. a broadcasting tour de force, Adrian. I know. So if you're listening and you're in one of those countries, please do get in touch. Because we'd... <laughs> We'd love to hear from you and hear what it was that drew you to us. Maybe leave us a review on whatever local podcasting app you're using there. But um, yeah, no, it's cool. So it's nice to think that we have a global audience for our waffles. Totally. Mm. Um, 
So how can they get in touch with us, Laura? Well, we are on Twitter, uh, at Second Features. Mm -hmm. And you can also just tweet me or Adrian individually. I am Mm -hmm. at Laura Jane Main. And Adrian, you are Retro Ramblings, Um, aren't you? At Retro Ramblings. At Retro Ramblings. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have a Gmail, which I... Does anyone email us? Because... Um, um, Only bots. Okay. Um, if you're, are, if you're a bot, you can email our Gmail and only yes, our Gmail. <laughs> which is uh, at secondfeaturespod at gmail.com. So please do get in touch. Uh, or you can also leave us comments. We've got a YouTube channel. Our podcasts are over on YouTube as well. So if you want to find us on there, then you could leave us comments on the episodes. Um, our sex mission episode is actually very popular on YouTube, believe it or not. Well, I say very. I'm not talking millions. But people are people are listening to us on YouTube as well. So that would be fun to just we just like to hear from you and what you think about it and suggestions for future films or if you're an academic with some research that you'd love to come on and chat to us about. We are always open to ideas. Open to ideas and suggestions for films that we might do. Oh, and we should plug our, um, our Blu-ray that's coming out this month. It's not our Blu-ray, just to say. We it's just <laughs> we, we <laughs> happen to have recorded a commentary track for the upcoming network on-air release of The Monster, a.k.a. I Don't Want to Be Born, starring Joan Collins. A.k.a. Sharon's Baby. A.k.a. many other titles, yeah. too numerous to actually name. Yeah, genuinely. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, if you're one of the people who's listened to that commentary, and you want to tell us what you thought about that, uh, you can contact us as well. Be Unless nice you thought have. it was shit, in which case, mm. keep your opinion to yourself. Yes, thanks, and don't be so rude. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's fine. We we accept constructive feedback. And uh, yeah, so thank you for listening. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Adam Locks. And um, you can find him. He doesn't really do social media. so But he has got a podcast coming up, as he mentioned. So um, that's worth listening out for. And when once we find out when that is happening, we'll tweet about it. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. And goodbye.